How many of you enjoy waking up in the morning? All right, so a couple of weird people. How many of you consider waking up would be better as an afternoon activity than a morning activity? Yes, right? But wake up, we must. We must all get out of bed at some point, shan't we? And that's really what we've been looking at uh, this series. So if you've uh, just joined us recently, uh, we've been working our way through a series called Awake. And it's not so much about dragging our bodies out of bed in the morning. That's important. But even more important is this idea of waking up to what God is doing in our lives. So I don't know about you, but I'm excited about 2020. I'm excited about this year. I'm excited about what can happen. I'm excited about what God is getting ready to do. So I've been mentioning that um, at the end of April, beginning of May, we're going to celebrate one year of existence. So Church Northwest is like a a one-year-old baby. And um, we're really excited to see not just how we have come this year, but where God is leading us in year two. And I think God is preparing us for something pretty amazing. We've been working really hard on um, building a sense of community and family within the church here. And I think that's happening. I'm I'm seeing people connecting with each other and people feeling welcome, I hope. Um, And that's what we've been working on. But we also, we want to be more than just that. We want to be more than just a community of people that are happy to be around each other. That's really important, and we don't want to lose that. But we also want to realize that God has a real heart for the community around us. And we have a heart for the community around us. And we want to prepare ourselves to see what God is going to do in leading us out and to share His love with people. Um, And what exactly that's going to look like, we're, we're still figuring that out. But we're trying to prepare ourselves to hear what God has to say in that area. We've just been singing about asking God to lead us where our, beyond where we can walk, where our faith is tested. And so what that means is we need to prepare ourselves for that. And so I think God wants us to lead us on a very cool journey, but we need to wake up to what He is doing so that we can connect with Him and we can be a part of what He's, do, what he's doing. So that's what we've been up to. We have uh, met the dawn We've been woken up by an alarm. We've got caffeine coursing through our veins. Those are the ones, the themes we've been looking at. We're ready for the day, right? We're ready, we're awake, we're onto it. But there's something else that I would be remiss if I did not kind of bring up. And that, and I don't know if you have this, all of the second lot of hands that have gone up that find it hard to get up in the morning, you will resonate with this. That when you get out of bed and you're finally awake, There is still that temptation, isn't there, to climb back into bed, right? Because those those sheets look really comfortable. I mean, they look good. And in the winter especially, they are warm. And it's cold outside. So what do you have to do to really push past that? you got to get dressed, right? You need some clothes. To me, I find that when I get dressed... It's a statement to myself that I am now ready to put bed behind me and I'm ready to start facing the day. It's this sort of like the statement of, right, that's it, I'm in. I'm not going back to bed. Although 
doesn't always quite work out as planned, if you show the picture there. Sometimes we get dressed and it just doesn't quite stick. In all honesty, though, I think if we are opening ourselves up to, to God, and um, that might look different to, to different people, but if we are trying to open ourselves up and say, God, what do you want with my life? What do you want? I want to hear you. Then I believe that will work. I believe he will speak into that space. I'm not talking about audible voices in the night or anything like that necessarily. I'm just talking about connecting with you and bringing you on his journey. I believe he will do that. The Bible says, Jesus tells us, that those who knock, the door will be open to them. Those who seek, they will find. So God wants to be found by us. And I think if we open ourselves up, he will find us. However, we need to recognize that there is other forces at play. There is someone else who is trying to lead us away from God and back into bed. There is someone who is trying to lead us back into that darkness. The Bible says in, in, in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, says, be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, ready to devour someone. So it's not just us in this. We have an enemy who is trying to stop us from moving forward with God. And that guy is Satan. Now, I wanted to kind of... Um, I wanted to kind of pause here for a second and I wanted to kind of see where your understanding is of Satan because I'm not sure, I, I mean you guys have come from different backgrounds, some of you have come from different churches, other people may not have and we may have had different stories or no stories relating to this guy Satan. We kind of hear that he's bad, right? We should not like him. Um, satanic worship is deemed bad, right? We've, we've got that sort of covered. But do we really know who he is? Do we know anything about him? And I just thought I would open that up a little bit. What do we know about Satan from this group? This awkward silence is me waiting for a response. A beautiful angel. Was, okay, yes. Very, very carefully placed word, was. He was a beautiful angel, okay. Very good. Anything else? Yes, Maddie. He wanted, we got, boom, the same answer from two different places is great. So he wanted to be God. He wanted to be powerful like God. So what happened? God said, fine, you want to be God, I'll resign. You can have the job. No. Got kicked out of heaven. Um, I don't know if literally or not. That would have been fun. But no, he got kicked out and took a bunch of his minions with him. So, okay, if we're looking at a little bio of Satan here, the first point here is, you're right, he is a former high-ranking angel. We don't know exactly how high-ranking, but the way he talks to the archangel Michael seems like there is some comparativeness there. So we could assume, God doesn't give us this information, but we can assume that he is a high-ranking angel. What does that mean, though? 
What does it mean if he's an angel? Was an angel? Is still kind of same as an angel. I think there's a few things that are important for us to realize. One is that makes him pretty powerful, right? It makes him quite powerful. In fact, if he's one of the most powerful angels, then he's very powerful. But he's not as powerful as God because he is one of the angels. And none of the angels can compare with God. God created the angels, right? He is in charge of the angels. So oftentimes we get these stories about Satan. We either don't talk about him at all or we talk about him all the time, and we kind of elevate him as God's arch nemesis, right? You know, he's the Moriarty to God's Sherlock, right? He's whatever villain you want to kind of insert there. So he's kind of like this super evil genius that is going head to head with God, and God's really struggling to win, because we, we, we like these sorts of movies, right? So there's this big epic struggle, and then in the end, finally God wins, and ha, hurrah, Right? That's how we see him. That's not true at all. God looked at Satan, who was trying to take over him, and he went like this, flick, and kicked him out because he is that much more powerful than Satan. So there's this two-sided coin here. He is both very powerful compared to us and very unpowerful compared to God, which should tell us what we need to do to defeat him is to side with the guy who's more powerful, right? That makes sense. So, he is an enemy of God and of mankind. Why is he an enemy of mankind? Because we look like God. God. That's a really nice way of putting that. God made us to look like him, and he doesn't like the look of that. And also, is he really, I mean, it's not really personal against us. He doesn't really care about us. We're not really that important, except we are important to God, and he hates us. God. So if he can't get at God, he's not powerful enough to do that, he's going to come after his most special creation, us. So he's going to do whatever he can to ruin us or specifically to ruin our relationship with God. That's important because we often see Satan as this guy who's just trying to cause chaos in the world. Right? He's trying to just destruction and evil and all of this sort of stuff going on in the world. That has to be Satan because Satan is trying to cause bad things. Maybe. I mean, he's not a particularly nice dude, but at the same time, he's a little bit more strategic than that. It's not just doing bad things. He specifically wants to drive a wedge between us and God. And you know what? He can do that by doing good things too. We have to be aware of that. The Bible describes Satan as someone who masquerades as an angel of light or as a, as a pillar of light, you know, as this good person. So a good thing done in a negative way that drives a wedge between God and man, he's on board with that. We can see that in our society. We can see that in ways where our society is trying to uplift humanity, but in the course of uplifting humanity, they are driving away God because God is the enemy of humanity. That storyline that we see playing out in culture, that can be Satan too. And it seems like, well, he's helping people. Well, but he's not helping God. So he's an enemy of God and mankind. And then the third one we've got, he is fatally defeated. Okay, so the Bible is very clear. God wins. Satan has already lost. He has already lost. What Jesus did on the cross, 
which if you're unfamiliar with that story, please come and talk to us because that's a great story. But when Jesus defeated Satan, he defeated him fully. So he's fatally defeated. He cannot win. However, he is still active. And like an injured animal, he is rather dangerous when he is active. But he is not so powerful that God can't handle him. Does that make sense? Does that give us a picture a little bit? But not only do I want to talk about who he is, but I want to talk about his bag of tricks a little bit. Because Satan works in certain ways. And I think these ways are very important for us to kind of look at. I'm going to put some verses up on the screen. I'm not going to go into those verses, but they're available on your Bible app. So if you're using the Bible app, you can see them there. And you can actually cheat and look ahead if you really want to. Don't do that. Don't be that guy. Um, And so you can see the verses, look them up later, and see where I'm coming from, from some of the things that I'm saying. Also, if you don't have the Bible app, because the Bible app will, that uh, events uh, finishes at the end of the weekend, Whitney, is that correct? Friday. Okay, so next Friday. So you've got this week to kind of look at that, and it'll disappear. You can also email it to yourself, right? Save. Okay, so you can save. If you write some notes, there's some spaces there. You can write some notes, you can save it, you can keep it and look at it later. The other option is too, if you go to the podcast on the website, we are now putting all of the slides up there so you can see all of this information, okay? So you're not going to lose it. So if you're scrambling to write stuff down and it disappears, you can go back and look at it there, okay? All right, so look at this. The Bible describes Satan as a liar. Okay, so one of his bags of tricks, his biggest one, I think, is lies. He tells lies. The Bible describes him as the father of lies. What does that mean? What does it mean for him to lie? I believe he lies about who God is, and he lies about who we are. Okay? So his lies that come into our lives look something like an idea of God that is not biblical. Like, and and I don't want to step on toes because this is a very popular theme from our society, but this idea that God has many faces. God has many expressions and many different religions around the world. And it doesn't really matter which one you follow because you find your way to God either way, right? That's a very common Hindu. Gandhi was big into that idea. That is a beautiful idea, but it is not what we see in the Bible. And that is something Satan is going to try and push to keep us from understanding who God is, right? So things like that, untruths about God that kind of come around. Happens even in the church sometimes. But he also lies about who we are. And I think specifically how we relate to God. Tell me if you've heard this one before. I'm not good enough for God. I'm not good enough. He doesn't love me. Or if I can't quite get my head around that one because the Bible says he loves me, he loves me, but he doesn't like me very much. He's disappointed in me. I'm just, I'm just broken and I'm, I'm hopeless. I'm unhelpable. Right? Does any of that sound familiar? Like we maybe played that movie in our head a couple of times. These are the lies that Satan tells us. He tells us lies like that sin that you can't stop thinking about it because I keep plugging it in your head. God hasn't really forgiven you for that. He's still kind of holding that one against you. You've got a lot of work to do to get back into God's good graces because of that. Oh, and look, you're going to do it again. You can't help it. There's nothing you can do about it. These are the lies, right? Where There's there's plenty to go around. He loves this one. I think it is his number one 
trick that he likes to pull is to destroy us from the inside out so that we don't even go to God. All right, but that's a lie. Second thing he does is temptation. Again, I don't think we have to really uh, dig too deep in our lives to see this one. But he tempts us to draw us away from God, to act in such a way that God does not want us to act, to drive that wedge. He doesn't care about your happiness. He's not tempting you to do this thing because he wants you to be happy. You'll say that. That's a lie. He's doing it because he knows that God doesn't want you to live that way and it will drive a wedge. That's why he's doing it. And he does it well. He knows all of our little buttons, all the little things. He knows what you like to do in the shadows. And he will push that. And then he'll blame you for it afterwards. And then the third one, which is possibly a little less common nowadays, but it's worth mentioning, is physical manipulation. Okay, so I've got a couple of different examples here. In Job, uh, the book of Job in the Old Testament, we see God giving Satan permission, which is an important part of that equation. But Satan has the power to go and to kill people and to afflict Job with sores and disease and that sort of thing. He has that power as long as God allows it. That's an important caveat there. In Matthew, in the book of, uh, I've got the passage there, but it's several times um, in the, the Gospels, the stories about Jesus on earth, Jesus comes across people who are possessed by demons, by Satan and his minions, which means they are taken over. They no longer have control of themselves. It's pretty scary stuff. So here's the question. Does that still happen? Like, is it just the first two and, and we're not allowed to use the third one anymore? Well, I think about 10 minutes in the mission field in a place like Africa or Haiti will tell you, no, actually, that stuff still happens. Physical manipulation, possession, those sort of things will happen. Now, but here's the thing. In our Western world, first world sort of scenarios, I don't believe it happens very often. Why? Because Satan is smart and it doesn't work. What is his ultimate goal? To drive a wedge between God and man, yes? It does, he doesn't care about our physical being. He doesn't care about whether we have control of ourselves or not. He wants to drive us away from God. What happens in our culture when something supernatural happens or something scary happens or something blows our mind? What do we do? We run back to God, don't we? That's our heritage. That's, that's what we grew up with. So if he was to possess someone, it's probably going to draw them back towards God out of fear, which is not necessarily nice, but it's not working to Satan's advantage. He doesn't have to do that. He's doing a much better job with his lies and his temptations. But you go to a, a developing part of the world where different heritages, more animalistic cultures that believe in, in the evil and demons and are afraid of it and will serve them in order to be protected by them. Yeah, I believe Satan's working there. I believe he is perpetuating that story. Maybe in our culture too, I don't know, I don't have any evidence for this, but it's possible that with certain people in our culture who are perhaps more susceptible to, say, stories about poltergeists or ghosts or supernatural events that are not God-related, maybe he might throw a book across a room just to get people going. He might. We don't have to be afraid of that, but we need to also be mindful that it's possible. Satan is at work. 
but he is only at work as much as God says is okay. And if we are with God, we will be fine. Yes? Okay, so the reality is that God, uh, Satan is real and he's coming at us. He's coming at us hard. He doesn't want us to succeed in opening ourselves up to God. He doesn't want to see us have the full life that Jesus promises us. He doesn't want to see Church Northwest succeed. I think he sees the energy that people bring into this space, this, this excitement about new people coming, all of this sort of stuff. I think it makes him nervous because he senses, perhaps, that something is about to happen, that God is preparing us to do something. He doesn't like that. So he's going to come at us, and he's going to come at us hard, and it's not going to be with big supernatural things, I don't think. I think he's going to come at each and every one of us individually, and he's going to start pushing some buttons, and he's going to start driving a wedge because he does not want us to succeed. So... What do we do? How do we fight against this? Well, Paul is the guy who wrote the book of Ephesians that we've been looking at at this series. He wants to help. He agrees that we are going to have some trouble. He agrees that the closer you get to Jesus, the more you make Satan nervous, and he wants to try and stop that. So he says the same thing I say. If you don't want to get driven back to bed, if you don't want to get driven back to the darkness, you've got to get dressed. Albeit in a slightly different fashion sense than perhaps we would choose. And so he says in the book of Ephesians that we need to clothe ourselves with our defense. Now bear in mind as we read this, he is in prison at the moment. He's being guarded by a Roman soldier. Okay, So there's this visual that is in his mind as he goes through Let's have a read together. I'm going to read from a real Bible, but it is up on the screen. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Some of you have heard of this. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Schemes? Schemes? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Translation, Satan and his minions. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm. You hear that stand word a lot. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. All right. Well, before we dive into um, Paul's wardrobe here, I want to kind of highlight the theme verse. This is key for us to take on board. Okay, Ephesians 6.10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
the language here, the original language, the emphasis is not on be strong. The emphasis is on in the Lord. So we should read this, not be strong in the Lord, but be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Why is that important? It's important because what we're about to go through is not just a formula of things to do that could check some boxes and we will be safe. That's not how this works. God is giving us some tools, some things that we can do, but the real power is in Him. The real power is in God Himself. He is the one who can protect us. Okay? So, um, yeah, it's also worth noticing that the language He uses about putting on your armor is not the kind of, and again, we don't sense this in English, but in the original language, you can pull this out a little bit more. It is not to a single person, but to a group. Okay, so he's speaking to a group. This idea of putting on your armor is not reminiscent of a gladiator match where there's one person fighting another person in the arena. It is the image of an army where multiple soldiers are working together and fighting together. In fact, the Roman armor was such that you probably couldn't put it on by yourself anyway. It's just big and clunky, so you needed someone else. You help each other put it on. All right, you see where I'm going with this. This is a communal thing. In our Western world, we have this tendency to become very individual with our faith. And our faith sometimes is individual. There's an individual aspect to it between you and God. But it's also a community. That's why we're big on community at Church Northwest. You know what our mission statement is? It's up on the screen. Yeah, it is. Helping each other take our next step towards Jesus. We're not in it alone. We were never designed to be in it alone. We were designed to be soldiers in an army. Okay. Right, so the armor. I want to kind of run through quickly. I haven't put the, the clock up, so you're going to have to keep an eye on my time here. If I need to hurry up, just tell me. Good. Ten minutes? All right, we can do this. We can do this. Five minutes. We cannot do this. All right. First one is the belt of truth, okay? So we've got ourselves a nice belt. Um, oh, no, no, don't, don't jump ahead too far. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold the horses. All right, here we go. So we've got the belt of truth. Now, in the Roman armor, this is not so much a regular belt, like I've got a nice belt here to keep my jeans up, but this is kind of a leather sort of undergarment thing that actually keeps the whole armor together, which is, makes sense because the truth about who God is, about who Jesus is, about who we are, and how we relate to him. This is what keeps everything together. This is where our, what our armor is based on. It's the foundation of it all. Without that, it really doesn't work very well. Of course, if we don't believe that, Satan will probably just leave us alone anyway because he's trying to drive a wedge. So what does it look like to put on truth? Well, I think it means finding out what that truth is. We have this book that God has given us. It's called a Bible. It's big. There's a lot of stuff in here. But there's a lot of truth about who God is. In fact, I believe everything we need to know about who God is and how we relate to Him is in this book. So reading this book is important. If you don't have a Bible, you can find them online. I mean, it's, it's free online. There's hundreds of translations. We can help you pick the right one. But in fact, the, the Bible app that you might be using has uh, plenty of Bibles. If you're a little bit daunted by what the Bible is and how to read it, we also have this book 
called The Field Guide to the Bible, which is a fantastic, easy to read, nice pictures, describing what the Bible is and how to read it, how to get started, how to get into it. We have a whole pile of these. If you want one, you can have one. If you want to throw a fiver at us to help pay for costs, that's great. If not, don't worry about it. Take one. If this will help you read the Bible, we would love to give you one of these. So Whitney has some of these out at... Whitney has like four of them. But I have more at home and we can order more. So if you would like one and there's not one left... We have five now. This one's not from your desk. So. Um, just let us know. We'll order you one. Um, you can also find them online if you want to do it that way. But don't let the bigness of the Bible stop you from getting into the Bible. Because that truth is what keeps us safe. All right, second one is the breastplate of righteousness. All right, so this is the chest armor, protects your heart and your vital organs, very, very important. We might think of righteousness as this thing that God has given us, which is one definition of the word righteousness. So we believe that when we trust in God, He takes all of our mistakes, all of our sins, all of our guilt away, and He makes us right with God. That's what righteousness means, right with God. That is true, and we will get to that in another piece of armor. That's not what he's talking about in this particular piece. He's talking about more active righteousness. So this is the behavior of our lives. Do not translate that to mean that we have to work for our salvation. We don't. That is given to us freely. But what he is saying is when we live out that salvation, when we live as if we believe in God and as if that is true in our lives, and we try to live a life that God wants us to live, that action protects our heart. It protects us. Um, Satan is trying to drive that wedge between us and God. And as we actively live out that life, it nullifies what he's trying to do. It brings us closer to him, protects our heart. Okay, we're going to move through these quickly. The next one is feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, which is a real mouthful. I've tried to shorten it from shoes of gospel readiness, but that may not make a lot of sense to you either. Because the real question is, what is the gospel? We use that word, gospel. Isn't that a, a type of um, musical thing, you know, black gospel singing and all that sort of stuff? But in its truth, what the gospel is, is the story of God and man. is the story of being invited back into the family of God. That we are no longer separated from him, but if we choose him and follow him, he is inviting us back into his family, right? So that truth is available to everybody. He has invited everybody. That's part of the story. The story is it's not just for one or two people, but for the whole world. So that truth means that the word needs to get out to everybody. That is his story. He's trying to spread, and he has given that, that story. The Bible describes it as a ministry of reconciliation. We're trying to help reconcile the world to God. And when we understand the story, when we understand it, it becomes our story, we become ready to share that story with others. So as we move into this year and we look into looking out into the community, being about outreach is what we might call that, that's where this comes from. God has come and found us in our darkest place. We want to go find others. So that's what that means. So what does that look like? How do, how do you 
put those shoes on. And I think what that comes down to is, A, accepting the story. It's got to be your story that he has saved us, that he has reconciled us. And then we just need to open ourselves up. This is what we're doing with the whole Awake series. We open ourselves up and we let him speak into our lives. Okay, next one is shield of faith. All right, so shield literally means door, which is interesting. We often picture like this guy's got a little circle shield, but the Romans, they didn't like those shields because they were too small. They like to have these big rectangular door-like shields. So when you held them up, there was nothing coming through, right? And what the best part about that is, and this goes back to our community thing is, the Roman army, when they came together and they all lined up and those shields lined up in front, it was like an impenetrable wall. Nothing got through. And then the guys behind them would lift them up. So it was like a roof. It was honestly, it was a house that the army could sit in. So whatever arrows, whatever bombardment was coming, nothing got through. Well, very, very, very little. This is what faith gives us. And this is what faith in a community gives us. Because let's be honest, sometimes my faith is not so strong. Sometimes my arm is tired and my shield is down. Yeah? And I'm open to what Satan does. Just ask Nate. I mean, the amount of times he has to talk to me (laughs) and my faith sometimes is weak. But that's okay because his is strong. And I come and I stand next to him and his shield goes up and I'm protected by that. Yeah? And then we all come along together and we protect each other. And you know what? I'll repay repay the favor another day. And his shield might be a little low. You know what? I got this. My shield's up. And so we help each other. And Satan is confused and annoyed and he is stopped and thwarted because we are not trying to do this by ourselves. We are doing this together. That's what our shields do. That's the beautiful thing about it. So look. Yeah, all right. I see it. 1120. Yep, all right. This is why we are going to push things like small groups. Okay, we're going to push peer mentoring and connecting. Not because we want to add something to your schedule, not because we want to guilt you into doing something else. We want to encourage you to get into small groups because that is where we can help each other with our faith. Yeah? If you want to join a small group, if you're not in a group, Come and talk to me. Come and talk to Nate. We've got two groups going. If we get enough interest, we will start another one. But don't do this alone. All right, helmet of salvation. I'm going to breeze through the next two. Um, This one is really interesting because it protects your mind. Okay? Now, for me, there's a lot of things I could do with this, but I want to cover one issue, and I think a lot of us are susceptible to this, is that when Satan attacks... He doesn't make you believe necessarily or doesn't always attack your mind. He does with lies. But he often attacks your heart, right? He attacks your feelings. I don't feel close to God. I don't feel like God is close to me. All right, so how would a helmet over your head protect you from that? Because in those moments when your emotions are not telling you the right story, your brain can And that goes back to truth. The truth of who God is, that he loves you, that he likes you, that he has invited you into his family, that nothing can separate you from him. 
those truths in your mind can get you through the difficult periods where your emotions in your heart are just not keeping up. I have those moments all the time. I promise you that. And one of the things that I've learned, I have depression, so depression is a real big one. And I know this is an issue for many people here. But when I have depression and I feel like it's all hopeless and I feel that I'm useless and blah, 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 one of the things I have learned is to turn the volume down on my emotions. Not shut it off, they're important, but just turn the volume down for a little bit. Okay, it's too noisy. It's not telling me the right thing. And turn the volume up on my brain just a little bit. And my brain is going to say, you are not in a good space, so don't judge your relationship with God now. Hold fire for a little bit. Believe the truth and then wait for your emotions to catch up. And then you can see where you are. Yeah? That's something that I've, I've done that's been helpful. All right, last one. Sword, not last one. Sword of the Spirit. This is our offensive weapon. Everything else is defensive. But God has given us a weapon to go and take the fight to Satan. All right? Now, we kind of associate the sword with the Spirit. The sword is not the Spirit. The sword is from the Spirit. It is of the Spirit. The sword is the Word of God. Okay? So, Word of God, we need to get our Bible and we need to hold it in front of people. And, you know, and, and Christ compels thee from the Bible. Marilise just walked in on that. There's context to what I just said. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about here. This is leather and paper and ink. Okay? The words on the page are only part of the story. The behind the words is the Spirit the one who wrote the words, the one who wrote the story, the one who wrote the truth in this book. He is the one who uses that to change lives. He uses that story to change our lives and to change the lives of those around us. So it's no coincidence that Jesus himself was described as the word of God. It is no coincidence that creation happened through God's words. His words have power. His words are power. So we use the story of the Bible not only to change our own lives, but to help others. We don't just quote the Bible at them, but through relationship, we share that story and it changes their lives and it draws them into the family of God, which is a physically powerful weapon against what Satan is trying to do. He's trying to drive a wedge between God and man and we're doing a battle against that. That is our weapon the word, the story, the power of what God has done. All right, and the last one is uh, prayer on all occasions. This one's interesting because it doesn't often get included in the armor of God. It's not a piece of armor. Except if you ever talk to any soldiers, one of the things that they will tell you is most important, more important than their weapon, more important than their shields, which they don't use anymore, more important than their bulletproof vest, is their ability to communicate with their superior officer. Yeah, Any soldier will tell you that if they get disconnected from their general, from their captain, from their sergeant, they're lost. Eventually, they will get overrun. That communication is the most important thing to them. All right? So the same is true of us. Never lose connection with our superior officer. If God truly is the power behind all of this, then we stay connected. So what does that look like? It looks like praying. Pray, pray, 
pray on all sorts of occasions. Don't worry about formulas. Don't worry about, you know, having to pray in a certain way. The Bible gives us the Lord's Prayer that's helpful to tell us the sort of things we can pray about. It's not a script to repeat, necessarily. We're just talking to God. Just talking. Chatting. Sharing. Opening ourselves up to Him. Communicating with Him. And then listening for Him to communicate back. All right, there's so much there. I I recognize we've, we've done a little bit of information download and dump on you there, and I apologize for that. But this is so important. We want an amazing year. We want God to do amazing things in our lives. But if we do not recognize that there are forces that are working against us, we will be blindsided by it. But if we do recognize it, and if we do suit up, and we... Oh, I should have done an Iron Man clip. Never mind. We'll get, yeah. If we do kind of put that armor on, then we can be protected. This is not an impossible task. All right. So here's my challenge this week. I want you to pick a piece of armor. Just one. Pick one piece of armor this week and really focus on what that will be. Will it be the helmet of salvation? Will it be the shield of truth? Will it be any one of these? Pick one and work on it this week. And then maybe you can add some down the road, but just pick one to start off with. All right, enough of that. I'm going to pray, and then I've got a communion, and then notices, and then we're going to leave. All right, let me pray. Lord, there is so much for you to tell us. There's so much for us to know and to understand about you and about our enemy, Satan. If there's one thing that we can pull out, well, I, I, I want to kind of leave that for you to, to tell us what we need to know. So Lord, use this message, use all of the information that I've thrown out there and and your spirit, Lord, your word, your power can use that to kind of help us in our day-to-day life. This is a Monday through Sunday, not just a Sunday thing. And Lord, I know Satan is going to come at us hard because I really think you've got some cool stuff in store for us. We want to be ready. We want to be prepped and, and clothed and dressed so that we can get on board. Help us not to be afraid, but to be smart, and to be wary, to be alert, and be with us. It's in your amazing name that we pray. Amen.